Today we are continuing, if you're visiting with us, I, as you can tell I'm dealing with this kind of like uh, throat, cough, cold, uh, yelling too much at football game kind of um, throat thing, so who knows, or yelling at kids thing, who knows, it's one of those things. Um, but anyway, makes it a little bit difficult to sing, and fortunately we got some great singers that um, that kicked in for us. So, but we, we started this series last week, if you've been with us, called Monster Faith. Again, I challenge you to put it on Facebook, I didn't put the... Uh, little thing to click on today, um, but if you want, go ahead and just look up Facebook, havencc.org, um, I believe it is, or havencc.com, something like that. Look up Haven when you get there. But um, we, uh, we're talking about people who have monster faith, and since this week, everybody, you know, last week, AMC, anybody watch, remember when AMC used to show like old movies? Now it's like when the old movies are like from the 80s. I don't think they're so old anymore, you know. Um, they've, been, they've been doing, like, I guess because of the season of Halloween and everything, they've been doing this kind of fright series, and they had all of the Friday the 13th movies. How many have ever seen one of those movies? Anybody? Um, I watched them again because they were absolutely ridiculous, um, and I was wondering why we were so scared back then. But I was telling my son, I said, now, just, just picture this. You, you used to go on to see movies in a movie theater, and I said... But back then, we had these things, really cool things called VCRs. And remember, we put them in, and one person in the neighborhood had a VCR, and everybody piled in there, and it was scary, and it was, it was crazy. But that's the kind of stuff that goes on. But there, with the season, I just thought we'd talk about something that's really monstrous, like monster faith. Talk about people who have monster faith. Last week, do you remember who we talked about? Elijah. There we go. We talked about Elijah last week, and the prophets of Baal, and how he was so brave. If, um, did anybody else read the next chapter of that from last week? I challenge you to go ahead and do so because Elijah comes from the mountaintop of killing prophets of Baal, being really strong, and then he hits rock bottom and runs a long, long, long way and goes and hides. He hits depression mode majorly. So we can talk about that at another time. But today I want to jump on, and, and, and I want to jump to another person today. We're going to talk about Abraham. Father, Father Abraham, and you guys, when I say that, some of you can probably go into Father Abraham and many sons and that kind of thing. It's like the Macarena before you did it, you know, um, as a kid. But we're going to talk about Abraham today and uh, Father Abraham. Now, in order to do so, the first thing I want to ask you is how many of you have children? I want to ask you a question. How many have children? Um, children, they're interesting, aren't they? Um, I have five of them. Um, and I love them dearly, but they also know how to push your button, don't they? How many have, how many have children again? How many throughout their lifetime have they pushed your button? There we go, that's unanimous, hey, it's old, okay? Um, they do. Let's be honest. They bring out the best and the worst in us, don't they? Um, and if I had to ask you right now, I mean, you know, just something that they know how to do, like a look, and usually it's like, on either your or your spouse's face, the same look, or, you know, somebody, they, they put that together, and you see that look, and it, that irritates you too, so that just irritates you more. But that, that look or that, we're, we're at the point now where we're like, oh, and don't you love that? I got really dumb from 10 to 14 somehow, you know. Um, it happens. But they're, they're good kids, but they just know how to do it. Now, if I had to ask you right now at this moment, Right now, at this moment, this doesn't mean your, your children are evil, doesn't mean you're just an evil parent, but how many of you would say you are happy with your children right now, all of them? Okay, that's good. And I won't ask how many are not, because we, we, 
because you might be sitting next to them and they might just say, oh, it got to be my brother or sister. Um, how many of you are a little bit upset with them with something that happened this morning? Okay, there we go. Okay, I knew there was some in there. Um, if Melissa was in here, she usually has to get them ready for, for church, so she'd probably be like, every Sunday, you know, this is kind of how it happens. But no matter where you are, there's something that's ingrained into a parent, that if your child is in need or in danger, you will do anything to protect him. Am I right? Even if you are in the point where you are like, yeah, today they really ticked me off, you will run there and do whatever you can to to protect them and to guide them and to help them. And that's what makes this, you know, even, even the most passive parent in the world, if somebody's messing with the kids, particularly moms, right? Moms can be the most passive and then they turn into like mother lion, you know, and just, you know, or, and just, or mother jumbo. Remember Dumbo? Like she freaked out when they started messing with his ears. Anybody watch Dumbo here? Okay. All right. So, but they, they, they just will go ballistic and be, you know, protective mom. There's something in you that does that. And also for parents too. You know, mess with me all you want, but mess with my kids. Is it a different ball game, dads? Okay, different ball game, right? You, then you just, then you become very Cro-Magnon all of a sudden. Am I right? And you just, all, all other kind of stuff goes out the window. So when we have these uh, things, uh, I just think that's really interesting. So today's story is going to be really weird for you. Because today, some of you may have heard this, may have lived this, but this is a story about a dad and a son. And the son is in danger, but he's there because of the dad's faith in God. It's a, it's a weird, weird account of Scripture that we have here. And this should grip your heart. I want you to, th- I want you to place, we're going to talk about Isaac, who is the son. We're going to talk about Abraham, who's the father. Now, whether you're a, a mother or a father or whether you don't have children, I want you to think about that child that's closest to you in your life. And I want you to give that the one. I want you to call that one Isaac today. I want you to switch Isaac for that child or those children. Then I want you to go ahead and from there, I want you to put you in the place of Abraham. And we're going to unpack this as we look further and further today in the scripture. Um, in order to do that, we're going to start today, and by starting today, we're going to um, look again at who is Abraham. Who's Abraham? How many have ever heard of Abraham? Okay, Abraham is a, a, an interesting guy, because the, three, the world's top three faiths go back to Abraham. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Everybody comes together at Abraham. From which kid after that, that's when we have major issues. Am, am I right from there? So we have Abraham, and then everybody disagrees from Abraham. But we all like Abraham. But Abraham was an interesting guy. And if we look, I want you to look at this verse. Here's what we know about Abraham to start off. Abraham goes into this account of, of Scripture. God appears to him and says, hey, they wanted to have kids. Here's what they did back in the time. Sarah had a maidservant. She gave, his name was Hagar, said, here, have kids for me. Hagar had a kid. His name was Ishmael. But then Hagar just kind of treated her poorly. But it was Abraham's son, so there's this issue. Then, all of a sudden, God comes to Abraham and Sarai, which then becomes Sarah. And, and his name was Abram at the time, but it changes. Don't worry about that. It's another thing. Um, and he says this. He says, you're going to have a kid. You've been barren, but you're going to have a kid. Now, Abraham finds this very funny um, because his wife is 90 years of age. 
Yeah. Any, anybody here 90? Huh? You feel like it? Gary feels like it. Well, let me ask this. Anybody here 100? Anybody known somebody 90? Anybody known somebody 90? Anybody known somebody 100 years old? If not, turn on the Willard Scott and the Smuckers thing and you'll see a whole bunch of them, right? But how many of you, how many of you right now in your life, you're not, let me, I'll take it, nobody is 90. How many of you are, are 50 or around 50? Okay. How many of you would like to have a newborn child right now at the age of 50? Okay. How many would like to, now, now double your age, double your age, wherever you are right now, I want you to double your age. If your kids, triple it. Now, if I double my age, I will be 82. I still have 18 more years before I'm the age Abraham was when God told him he was going to have a kid. He was 99 and he became 100. I don't know about you, not looking forward to that one. Anybody here want to have a child double your age right now? Brand new one. All right, so here we go. Abraham finds that very funny, and so does Sarah. I do too. If I, I, I might even cry now if God came and told me that now. You know, I say, God, my quiver is full. I got five, you know. Um, go down the street. But look at this. He says, Sarah bare a child at the age of 90. And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear a son. And you will call him Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. Because Abraham laughed, he went through his life with a name that he's going to laugh. Um, and he says he will establish his covenant with him. So here is... Isaac. Isaac is a really neat guy. Let me show you a little bit more. Anybody heard of Noah? We all want to hear about him if they, we get hit by the water that we're supposed to this week. But here he is. Here's Noah. Here's his three sons here. You can see off of Shem comes Terah. Terah has these kids. One of them happens to be Abraham. Abraham had with Sarah and Isaac and then comes all this other kind of kids. And then you have Ishmael and other etc. etc. See that? So, here we go. We have father, Terah, grandfather, Shem. So his great-grandfather was Noah. So that's where we are. That's how far we come. The guy who got off the boat with all the, all the animals. Now, that's one thing we know about him. We also know that his dad, Terah, grabbed his family together and said, we're going to go to this place. And they settled in this area of Haran, or the Chaldean kind of area. So here he is. He's hanging out here. And I'm going to show you this next map. Here we go. Right up top, you see where the red starts there, Ur? God tells Abraham, hey, I want you to pick up your stuff and I want you to go all the way down here to the land that I promised. Just a nice little journey. Okay. Um, you, many of you may be wondering why he didn't come right across the Arabian Desert. Not a very nice travel place uh, in the Middle East. And you have all kinds of mountainous range. So they traveled near the sea, which there's a road there. So here he came. He just picked up everything, left came to this area, and there's all kinds of things. So God just kind of, we don't know anything about him, except for at the beginning, he's the great-grandson of Noah. His dad moved to this area, early Chaldeans. God says, pick it up and get back where you're supposed to be, and he does. Abraham's really amazing because he just hears and obeys most of the time. All right, so this brings us to where we are today. Now, this is a story of a dad and a son, as I mentioned. And... In order to start this, you know, in, in church we've done a lot of discussion about faith. And if you have your bulletin open, I have some areas for you to write down. There's a lot of scripture there. I'm, I'm t- 
teaching a little bit differently in this series. We'll wrap it up next week with Jesus as um, Monster Faith of Jesus on Golgotha. But um, I'm going to give you a definition of faith. And here it is right here. Faith is where our obedience intersects with God's provision. It's right up here, but let me say that again. Faith is where our obedience crisscrosses, connects, intersects with God's provision. It's not where God's provision intersects with our believing. It's where our obedience goes ahead and intersects with God's provision. And that's important to set this down. Because as we're looking at the story, I want to take some time, even though it was just read for us wonderfully, I want to go ahead and take some time and reread through this, and then we're going to just unpack the scripture. All right? Is that cool with everybody? Is that good? Say yes. Okay. Otherwise, I can keep you here, and we can build a boat, and we'll all be good. All right. And we can all, like, walk in and out two by two. It'll work. Um, Okay. So, let's look at this. Chapter 22, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them. You may have a different translation. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. I'll pop into some NIV, and we'll make it. So, let's start with this first verse. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Now, people have asked before, does God test me? What's the answer to that? Yes. God does not tempt, I mean, God does not uh, put you against your will, but he will allow you with freedom, but he will test you. Let's look at this. James, the brother of Jesus, said testing produces perseverance. Perseverance, godliness. So testing is a good thing. Um, how many of you enjoyed tests when you were in school? No one. Imagine that. How many enjoy tests in life? No one. But when we got through the exams, it taught us in school to learn. I remember I taught an online class and I had a lot of different quizzes and I had a lot of different things. And I remember somebody sent uh, me an email and said, wow, this is a lot of work. And I said, wow, welcome to the real world. You know, it's like, but how can I assess if you don't do that? That's how we work it, right? Everybody who has been, everybody, how many of you have ever taken a test in your life? Right. How do they tell at the doctor? How many like getting shots? Anybody like getting blood taken? No, a couple of us, but you know, come on, like to watch it and see, you know. But most of us don't. But it is the results of those tests that enable us to find out what's going on with us, to, to correct it. So God, a lot of times, will allow us to have tests in life so that whatever is going on, we can overcome it. All right? So, yes, God does test Abraham here. But here's the test. He says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took his two servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, keep that in your mind, on the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there. And then we will come right back. <coughs> so Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we, ha- we have fire and the wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Now, 
we'll unpack this a little bit more, but that is a very unusual point. He's carrying the wood for his own sacrifice fire. We'll get into that in a second. And he's walking, he's adding two and two up, and he's saying, we got wood, we got fire. Yoo-hoo, where's the sacrifice? And he says, don't worry, God will provide it. Um, so, uh, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at a place that God had told them, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood, and then he bound or tied his son Isaac and laid him on, on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up a knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram, sacrificed the burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham made the place Yahweh Yerah, which means Jehovah Jireh. Um, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that as a proverb. On this mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That's a lot. I mean, I've had some bad times and some bad trips with my parents, but never when they tried to kill me. (laughs) Has anybody ever had it that bad? And God tests Abraham. This is much, much more than a test. I just started today by saying if our children were in danger, we would do anything to help stop them. But here we have a case where a guy is, has a faith in God. God has promised this child. And all of a sudden, he says, sometime later, we'll talk about that in a second. He says, I want you to go sacrifice him. Wow. Does that seem, does that seem demented to you? It does to me. I have struggled with this for years. And so we're going to unpack it today. One of the things that we got to look like, look at, there are two sides to every story. And, there, and there, are, there are two sides or two slopes to this mountaintop. The first one we're going to talk about today, the first slope, is the side of Abraham and Isaac's side of the mountain. Their perspective, in other words, is what we're going to talk about. And that's the first thing we're going to look at as we look at right here. Under the two sides of the mountain, slope one. Now, this is their perspective. Abraham hears from God. Imagine what he's going through. They had prayed for this child. They had tried to figure stuff out on their own. If you ask me, the whole Middle East conflict goes back to this whole situation, people not waiting for God. That's it. Ishmael and everything else came, came about, and they didn't wait for God's blessing, even though he had promised. And that's another sermon another day. God hears from him, and he says... Go take your boy. Go ahead and do this. Now, when God initially hears about this, he's 100. Remember, he's 100, she's 90. Then after the laughter, and then she, they realize she's pregnant, there's an excitement there. This is a special child. Now, we all think our kids are special, right? I, Abraham and Sarah probably had on the back of a camel, my son Isaac is an honor student or something. You know what I mean? Because um, we all think our kids are really special, don't we? No matter who they are, our kids are, are the best. Am I right? Anybody not think your kids are the best? You're just a realist here, you know. But no matter what they do, there's just this ingrained nature into us. They're the best, and they're special. But I'm going to tell you, Isaac is really special. He is, if anything, he's unique. He's unique. I know of no other person. I read in a book in India somewhere that some lady had a, at 75 had a kid. 
That's the long, oldest I ever, I ever learned about. But here we have Isaac. He is special. And he's unique. And then all of a sudden, God wants to take that away. Have you ever had times in your life where you feel like God gave you a blessing and then it goes away? And you're like, what's that all about? What's going on here? One of the other cool things that I find out in the story is there's a lot of similarities with Christ, and we're going to get to that. But they did a three days journey until they went to the mountaintop. Now here we are. Take the three days journey. And Isaac, you get a feeling like he knows something's going on here. You know that like when your parents are doing something? Like I remember one time, it was when the flu was really, really bad. And so Melissa had called and said, hey, we're gonna, let's get flu shots. And I had, I had like half the kids and she had the other half. And I said, well, how about if we meet up in Elkton and we'll go ahead and get the flu shots? And I said, but they're going to flip out. So I said, hey, guys, we're going to go do something fun. Come on, everybody in the car, what are we going to do? Oh, you guys are going to love it. You ever do that, parents? It may not be right parenting, but to stop the screaming, at least for a little bit. You know, you get there, you're like, come on in, and they've never been in this place, you know, and you're walking in, you're like, where's this? Oh, you're going to love it. It's going to be the best experience. You're like, we're doing this family. It's family time. So we're walking in, and then you, you bring them all in this room, and they see that nurse like that, and they're like, Wah! You know, they just start going, and you're like, okay, no, I'm not doing it. You're, t- you're holding like a three-year-old in a headlock, and just, just stab them. Stab them anywhere you can. Stab them, you know, and you're going through this, and we do that. They know something's up, but they're not quite sure what it is, and it's not that enjoyable. I think Isaac is in that same way. Uh, Dad, um, you know, I'm not dumb here. You got me carrying the wood. You got the fire and the knife. Ain't nothing to kill here, except you and me. You know, he knew what was going on. I, I believe that Isaac knew something was up. But he wasn't quite sure. And he said, eh, don't worry about it. God's going to provide it. To me, that tells me about Ab- Abraham's faith in two ways. When he leaves his servant, what does he say there? Look in your scripture. When he leaves his servants, he says a very important thing. You stay here. We are going to what? What's the first thing? Worship. Now, worship now is what we have today. We're blessed to have Wayne and a, and a really good praise team um, in spite of me and my throat um, today. But we've always had a really good praise team that leads us in worship. So we spend about 20 minutes in song, and then we move on. And we say, oh, I experience worship. In Old Testament, worship always occurred. Whenever you worshiped, you had to have something die. Always. And they understood that. When you had to have worship, it created a sacrifice. Those of you who are going to enter in Disciple Bible Study, we're going to talk a lot about that. But one of the things was every time, every single time in worship in the Old Testament, it always involved sacrifice. Something had to die. And today we are so far removed from that that we make altars look nice and pretty. The altar in the Old Testament was, look at what it says. He took rocks and he built it. Remember last week we talked about Elijah taking rocks and taking 12 of them for the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and he's putting fire on it, and he's cutting pieces of bull together, and it was like a, uh, anybody ever been to a, seen a butcher? Anybody ever been to a butcher's place? That's what it was like going on right there on top of the altar. Now, if I came in and took a cow and started slicing it up and throwing it up there and said, come on, your sins are forgiven, you're going to be like, out of here, dude. Because we're so far removed from that now. And in the Old Testament, 
something had to die for worship. How many of you brought a dove today for me to kill? Or a lamb? Anybody? Anybody bring one? We don't do that anymore. Because I hope we recognize that something did die so that we can worship. His name is Jesus. And we're going to talk about him next week. Who's called the Lamb of God that takes the sin of the world away. It's no mistake that that was done on Passover at the same time. God is a very consistent, organized God. And has a means for things. Jesus, the Lamb of God. He is our worship offering. That's why we can come in to the presence of God and worship Him and don't have to have a string of animals that uh, we'd use Joe because he works, he was uh, a butcher at one point and now he works, he's a U.S. meat inspector. We'd use him at our church, Joe Cox. But we don't have him standing around with a knife just killing anymore because Jesus paid that price. I don't want to get too much into that because we're going to talk about him next week. But I can tell you one thing. Abraham's crew knew what was going on. The servants said, they were all asking the same question Isaac was. Wait a second. You said you're going to worship. You need to kill something. What are you taking with you? And Isaac's saying, Dad, you got the knife. How about if you carry the wood? I'll take the knife. That's what I would have been saying. Because if it's between me and ye, I'm taking ye out before me. But he doesn't say that. He says, where is it? He says, God's going to provide. He says, all right. And they went on. And they went on. And three days journey. That's a good ways away. There's also something else that's really cool that Abraham says. Many have used this as a messianic reference. That God, it, God himself will provide the lamb. And for us, that's what happened. Jesus himself became the lamb of God that takes the sin away of the world. We'll talk about that more um, next week in a little bit. That's in verse 7 and 8. So Abraham builds an altar. Now, I find this really interesting because if, my, if I ask my kids to do something, a lot of times they don't even listen to me. If I tried to tie my kid up and I had wood on an altar, I built an altar and threw wood on it, and I've got fire, I think my son would run at least or throw something at me. Anybody else believe that way? If my dad was coming after me, my dad had one leg short than the other. I would have been running and I would have been like, try to catch me now, dad, you know? And, it, you know, when we were kids and he chased us, it always was like the Jaws theme. Dum, 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 dum. Wasn't it, Joe? It was like always like that. And you'd hear it coming up the stairs. And he'd always grab us at the very end. Ah, I got your hand. It's like a horror movie. Ah! You know? But Isaac allows his dad to bind him. Now, many of us have a picture in our mind. And many of us have a picture of here's 100-plus-year-old Abe taken five, six, 12-year-old Isaac. Most biblical scholars believe that Isaac was probably 30 years old. Changes the picture, doesn't it? Because I don't know about you, but if I'm a 30-year-old man, I can kick the snot out of a 130-year-old man. Couldn't you? I mean, I may not be able to beat many people up, but a 130-year-old man, I can definitely take him. And he doesn't. He allows his, he's bound, put on an altar, and he doesn't say a word. The scripture, he doesn't say a word. I'm like, what? You, I'd be screaming and flipping out, running, yelling. He doesn't say a word. Here's this 30-year-old man being honorable to his father because his father is being honorable to God, even though it doesn't make sense. So here's Isaac. Isaac. Laying on the wood that he carried. 
Oh, does that have a messianic reference? Doesn't it? Didn't Jesus have to carry his cross across his shoulders? Right? Didn't he not say a word? From their point of view, God called for it. And here they are. It's hopeless. They are entering into a point where from their point of view, from their side of the mountain, from their slope, I have to do what God told me to do because I'm going to trust in him. And here I am, I'm going to go to the point of giving up my son. And isn't it interesting that the scripture says your only son? What about Ishmael? He had another son, but this is a child of promise. God, he has him there. I mean, dad's got him on the altar, got the fire, got the knife. That's kind of like a pretty dark predicament. From their side of the mountain, hope is gone. Remember we talked about hope and hopelessness the other week? Do you ever feel that way? That hope is gone? That's hopeless existence? That from your side, what you see, there's no way you're going to get out of this predicament? There's no way anything can happen that's going to be good? I mean, just stop praying with me right now. 30-year-old man on the altar, fires over here, knife in one hand, bound, not looking good. And here he comes, stop. It's not a good predicament, not a good picture. Not a good picture from dad who is feeling torn apart that here's this child of promise and yet God's gave him to me and I got to honor God and I got to be faithful in him. I still believe he's going to provide, but I'm going to the point of doing that. Hopelessness. But one of the things that we find out in our lives, if we feel that way, don't lose hope. Because there's something, that, and don't lose faith in the God that you have. Remember what faith is? What was the definition I gave you of faith earlier today? It's where our obedience intersects with what? God's provision. God's, somebody told me a long time ago, and I found it in my life, God is never early. He's never late. He's right on time. But guess what? Never my time. So here he comes. Here it happens. And you know what? You know why you don't lose hope? Because guess what? There's another side of the mountain. There's another slope to this existence. And let's talk about that. We're going to talk, let's talk about God's side of the mountain. On God's side of the mountain. Just as God had called Abraham and Isaac on that journey up the mountain that was difficult. On the other side of the mountain, picture this. God's calling a ram. To come up, keep coming, keep coming. He's a little bit behind on the time schedule from what Abraham and Isaac, because they had to build a, an altar and everything. They had to go through all this stuff. Look at this point in the scripture. Right at the end here, he built the altar. He's ready. And at that moment, he picked up his knife to sacrifice. And in verse 11, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, says, don't lay a hand on a boy. Don't hurt him in any way. Can you imagine that? You're here, Abraham, Abraham, whoa, yes, hey, how are you there? What do you need? What? Stop me right now. And he says, wait a second. No, 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 don't lay a hand on the boy. You've shown that you love me, you love God more than anything in your life. That God is so special to you. So I'm going to tell you, do not hurt him in any way. Then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. Can you imagine, you know what sound went on after that? 
And that was from Isaac. And, and Abraham is so thrilled to that point. You see, don't ever, ever forget that if your life is hopeless, if there's a situation that is existing, that doctors may say that your marriage may be completely falling apart and you don't know what to do about it. There's another side to the mountain. It's God's side. If you have a child that has... Uh, that's that just falling apart and you're seeing their life go down the tubes. Hey, guess what? Don't fret because guess what? God's side of the mountain is there. If you have a terminal disease and you see that, hey, this is going to fall apart and, and you have this loss that, that you can't deal with, guess what? There's another side of the mountain. And on that side of the mountain, God is providing, not early, not late, but right on time. I've seen this displayed in my life so many times. You see, Abraham and you and I cannot see the other side of the mountain, can we? We can't see it at all. Doesn't that stink? Wouldn't it be great if faith was God's provision and then we react in obedience? That we have it all right there and then obedience? But that's not how it works. You see, our job is to be obedient and to trust in his provision. I... I, in looking at this story, I began to ask myself the question, what if Abraham had just stopped? Not many of us would argue with him, would we? Not many of us would argue with him at all. Isaac could have fought with God. Abraham could have fought with God. They could have said, no way, let's go. But they didn't. What about us? Have you ever been going on a journey and because you can't see the other side of the mountain, you just stop? My question is, I wonder how many times in life that we have no intersection with God's um, provision because we stop in our own obedience. Like, I would guarantee you in here that over the last three, four years, just as I've known many of you, that God has laid something on your heart and wanted you to be obedient about something. I will guarantee you that. Do you agree with me? Anybody agree with me? And I would dare say in many of those cases, we stopped along the journey. God may have called you into a, a career change. He may have called you into mission work and service for him. God may have called you on a journey that makes absolutely no sense. Guess what? Welcome to Abraham's world. Makes absolutely no sense. But along the journey, you started off, and then when you got about halfway and it got a little bit more difficult, you know, as you got... After about day one, you started looking and you still didn't see a ram that God provided on the journey. And you say, well, it'll happen tomorrow. And then you journey on another day. And guess what? The ram's not there. Not even a slug to sacrifice. Nothing. And then you get in day three and you get up on the mountaintop where God says right there is where it is. And you get up there and you go, now what do I do? God says, go ahead and build an altar. And you're thinking, I'm building an altar. Take the wood from him. He carried his own wood. Now tie him up. Just, uh, the whole time he's tying them up, he's probably looking 360 all around. You know, Mount Moriah is a very special place in Scripture. It's the place where Abraham did this. It's the place where David, King David, will later buy the threshing floor of Arana to set up the temple. It's the mo- one of the most disputed pieces of property in the entire world between, the, between um, Muslims and Jews and Christians. Because it has so much significance. Where the Solomon built his temple, and Herod built his. It's where the presence of God dwelt, 
and sacrifice was done. But yet, in our own lives, we get weary, don't we? Do we get weary in our lives, in journeying? And, and I, the sad thing is so many times we stop without continuing the trek to the mountain. We miss out. I believe if we, had, uh, if, if we could see from heaven, I kind of get this view of God saying, keep going. Keep going. Hang in there. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, you stopped. I had the blessing right here just one more day, just one more week, just one more step, and you would have gotten the blessing, I promise. Just hang in there. The Scripture gives another statement about faith. Faith is being certain of what we hope for. and Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's, that's, that's hard, isn't it? Because I like to see stuff in my life. I guarantee you heaven's like, keep going, keep going. I believe God is, wants to do some supernatural things. I believe this is why we don't see miracles as much anymore. Because we stop. I honestly believe that. That we stop along our journey rather than trusting fully in God for all those things. As a pastor, and I want to say this. As a pastor, I have become weary in my life of those who want to blame God for the lack of provision when they're bankrupt, when it comes to obedience. You know what I mean? I've run into so many people, faithful people, people who love God, say they love God, who blame God for lack of provision and yet won't obey God one ounce. We, we see it time and time again. We, we say God hasn't done this or provided this for me. We want to follow God, but we want to stand at the bottom of the mountain and look up and see the ram, don't we? We want to say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do that. But wait, let me make sure you're providing up there. I can tell you right now, we're going through some of this as a church when it comes to our building program, right? Something we all want and desire, and we see it. But you know what? And I've always said, God, you know it would be awesome if you gave me a million-dollar philanthropist that just plopped money down, and then we can go and do it. That ain't how God works, is it? God says, get up on the mountain. And you know what? You know what's going to be interesting in that, too? Is we agree to this as a church, God's going to require us to worship, which means he's going to require us to put some stuff to death in our own lives to make the reality of his provision happen. That's tough, isn't it? There's stuff in our lives that do that. I'm just being honest today. Isn't that, isn't that how the scripture went? And see, God doesn't expect us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. Because guess what he did? He took his son, his only son. And he had no problems. And he took him and he had him beaten. And he had him go up to the same mountain range that was in this area. He had him placed on the altar known as the cross. He had him nailed to that cross. And you know what? An author once wrote, it wasn't nails that kept Jesus on the cross, but his love. It was his love for you and for me. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer made the great quote that God's grace, his undeserved favor, is not, it's, it's free, but it's not cheap because it cost his son his life. I take for granted every week when I work in here, walk in here, to worship God. Every week. Are you with me? 
I take for granted every week I get the time to open my Bible and praise God. I take for granted every time I get to share and pray with somebody. But I get to do that because God loved me so much that he took his son and laid him on the altar of the cross, sacrificing him for you and for me so that I can come into worship. Am I right? Do we have any amens here today, Gary? Any amens? There we go, the amen corner back there. You see, God's provision is not necessarily the American dream. I hate to break it to us. I like stuff. You guys know that. You know me long enough. I like stuff. But God's provision is not tied to the American dream. Just because the, and I want to share with this, just because the American dream for many people is not coming true doesn't mean, doesn't mean that God is not providing for you. Or vice versa. It's an amazing thing. You know, when God provides, you may be in a period where you're walking on that journey in the mountains, and God's going to provide. I can tell you time and time again that God has provided. And I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about in relationships, in friendships, in my marriage, in my children, in me as a person. How God has provided something I need. You know what's funny? A lot of those times I didn't want it. You ever have God, you ever have your parents give you something like for Christmas, like socks and underwear? Anybody excited as a kid when you got socks and underwear? I know no kid who goes, wow, thank you, Fruit of the Looms. I've been looking for that. But guess what? You don't have them. You wish you did. That's how God works. He loves us so much, he gives us things. As we look at the parallel, next week we're going to talk about God and we're going, to, we're going to have communion next week. Since we're talking about Jesus on the cross. And I'll look at these parallels again. Take your only son. Your only son. Between Isaac and, and Jesus. He carried the wood for his sacrifice. Three days journey. And you know what? Both of them could have fought off their dad. Said, Jesus said, hey, not my, I don't want this, but not my will, yours. Isaac could have said, Dad, let's roll. But each of them said, I'm going to submit to your will. And ultimately, we recognize that God has provided us his son for forgiveness and new life. I think that most important verse in the scripture, here you have, here you have this great painting that I found years ago. And it reminds me that God himself became the lamb that allows us to worship and connect to him. What is this all about? Monster faith, right? My kids drive me crazy sometimes. And they get on my nerves, but there's not one time I would bring them in here and start slaughtering them on the altar. Even if God said so, I, I don't think I'm there yet. You know, if you look at the scripture on top of your, uh, on top of your bulletin on the first page, as the praise team comes up, I want to look at this. This is from Hebrews chapter 11. I challenge you to read this this week. Hebrews chapter 11. And this is what is known as the hall of faith. And here's what it says here. In Hebrews chapter 11. It goes through a list of people who were faithful. And in verse 17 of Hebrews. It says... Um, of chapter 11. This is where we get the definition of faith. 
Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, and listen to how faith passes on. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau regarding their future. There's a lot about Abraham in this chapter. What is it you have in your life that's keeping you from worshiping God? I mean, full worship of God. What is it that God wants you to, to come and, and to use this altar over here and just say, I've got to lay this down. Could it, be your, could it be a job? Could it be a person? Could it be an illness that has your future stunted so much you can't even see him? Could it be a relationship? Could it just be yourself? That you get in the way of God. Anybody want to show of hands if you've ever gotten in the way of your own relationship with God? Time and time again. My schedule tells me I'm, I'm in the way of God all the time. Now, this is a little different sermon series, I know, because um, we're spending a lot of time just unpacking Scripture. But Abraham did the unthinkable. Next week, we're going to talk about a God who did the unthinkable. I want you to stand right now as we pray today. Um, are we out here? I, Lord God, <clears throat> there's a lot on our minds today. I get the feeling that we have just a lot of cloudedness going on. We've got, we've got storms and provisions to, to deal with. We've got kids that are going to be home that usually aren't. We've got an election that we're tired of seeing whatever sides adds that just confuses and drive us crazy. And we feel like we've got to make everything, but then on the other hand, we feel like it doesn't matter. We've got needs in our homes. We've got people who we love who are sick. We're weary. We've got people that don't love us and treat us horribly, but we've got to deal with because we work with them or see them every day, or, or they're even in our families. And God, in all this whirlwind, it seems like our entire existence is one big hurricane. We've got loss of people that we love dearly that have passed on years ago that still seems like it's right here today. And God, we don't know where to turn. We feel like a ship being tossed on the sea. I'm sure Abraham went through some of this, God, when you come, came to him and gave him this unimaginable task. But God, the one thing we've got to hold on to is what that scripture says, that you provide. It, it's going to be the last moment, but God, you provide for us. When we were living like hellions and trying to figure out our own life for ourselves and trying to get our own careers going and living our life for ourselves, God, now that we stop and look back, we see that you were there, but we were waiting for the provision, but we weren't being obedient. And God, when we finally got our, our mind and our lives together and began to focus on you, we see in those areas of our life where you gave the provision, but we hadn't taken the three days journey to get there. And so God, right now, there's somebody here right now who's dealing with a possible journey. They're stuck in the middle. They don't know where to turn. And so God, right now, I just pray that we use this prayer time to go ahead and let them know that you've paid the price and that you just want them to be obedient, that you have behind an open door a new and 
greater anointing on their lives, filled with blessing and power. I ask you to release people from old hardships that you were never able to bless because they stopped along the way. So God, renew us with your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray.